So we will discover inheriting hope from Titus chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 11. As we read Titus chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 11, uh, we will uh, first have me read it from the English Standard Version. I'll then invite one of you to read it from whatever translation you happen to have in front of you. And then after we've got to hear it a couple times, a couple different voices, we first want to sum it up. So in your own words, what was it that Paul was communicating to Titus with the Spirit's inspiration to teach us here? We want to discuss some of the details that stood out to us. Those might be details that occur to you now as we read it. They might be details that... You noted through the sermon this morning when I preached on this same passage or in your own discussion with family members subsequent to this morning's service. But what are some of those details that you think really stand out from this passage? And then we want to answer four questions about it in our time together. What does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about people? There's going to be a lot in that category. There's quite a lot about people we can gather here. How will we personally put this into practice? There's going to be a lot for us to talk about there too. Uh, There's a couple of different verses that we can just straight up take that and say, I will, and then pick something that Paul told Timothy to remind the Christians of. And there would be a lot for us to work on if we just picked one of them. Um, So we want to pay careful attention to that. And then our fourth and final question, who needs this that we're going to tell? Knowing that that hope that God allows us to inherit demands to be shared. What might be some specific opportunities we want to keep our eyes peeled for this week so we can share something of that hope as we start a new week together? So this is Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 from the English Standard Version. The Apostle Paul is our inspired writer here. He's addressing another one of his protégés, Titus, who worked with him for a long time. And specifically at this juncture, uh, is working with a network of congregations on the island of Crete. And in that capacity, Paul writes this. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. So that was Titus chapter 3, 1 through 11 from the English Standard Version. Who might be willing to read it for us from another translation or just whatever you have in front of you? Ashley will, thank you. Which translation you got for us tonight? Uh, New Living. New Living. So this will give us a thought-for-thought translation to go with the word-for-word we just read. 
Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. Thank you very much. So there's a couple different translations and a couple different voices of Titus chapter 3, 1 through 11. In your own words, how would you sum this up? What is the Spirit imparting to Paul to impart to Titus as he ministers among these Cretan Christians? So Gwen sees the practical implication there that what it looks like to live our lives for God. What else would we add to that summation? John. I'm reminded of 1 Peter 2 9 when I read this. God talks about us being a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, created to do good works for God. So do it. So we see consistency not only in this passage, but across Scripture that part of God's purpose for us is to do good. And specifically, it is good for us to do good. That's what we're meant for. It's what we're created for. Anything else that we would add in summation that stands out to us, Jay? Grace. Grace. And the role of that in all of it, right? That's the reason. Yeah. Because Paul, for God, doesn't leave us without the reason why. He gives us and tells us about what Christ has done for us. Yes. Beautiful addition, Jay. I'm so glad you brought out that point. Ray. Having to find what is good and bad, remember what is good and reject what is bad. Yes. So recognize that there are things in the world, recognize that there are things among Christians that aren't what God and His grace have offered to us. So that needs to be rejected. And we need to follow what's good. Nick, did you have something too? Yeah. Yes. Great addition. So let's unpack this and let's talk about a few details. So one or two things that I'll give us to start. The word hope appears here. And that's a very important word. But it, it's important that we define what biblical hope means. And the word there is not hope the way we use it. Like, well, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. 
where we may or may not have even looked at the forecast. We don't really know what's going on. It's just sort of a, well, this would be nice. That's not what the Bible means when the Bible says hope. You know, biblical hope, and NLT actually rendered it this way, so it was interesting that Ashley read from that translation, actually refers to it as this confident expectation. That's what the Greek means. It's not wishful thinking. It is having assurance, having strong confidence that this is something. So when we are told here about this hope of eternal life that Jesus makes us heirs of, that he allows us to inherit, that's part of it. When he says hope of eternal life, it's not like, well, maybe I'll make it to heaven when I die. It's not what he's talking about. Confident assurance. And that shows in the life that we live. When we recognize that I've got hope, I am confident in where my life is headed. It empowers and emboldens me to live that kind of changed life, which was a crucial part of the point that Paul was bringing across here. The other part being what I brought out in the sermon this morning as it relates to eternal life, which for us usually just means life that goes on forever, which is a part of it. But that doesn't capture all of it. Eternal, by its very nature, refers to God. Because he's the only one that is eternal. So for us to have been made by Jesus heirs of the hope of eternal life, that means God is sharing his life with us. And that includes duration, but it also includes all these other elements of his character, which is why we should be devoted to good works. Because we are trying to inherit the life of God. So that means as we live each day now, we're trying to be more and more like our Father. We're trying to do good. We're being kind. We're being respectful, gentle, courteous. All of these things that we can see of God, especially when we look at His Son, Jesus. So those were a couple of details that I find particularly important to bring out. What were some details that have stood out to you as you've considered this passage today. Jay, get us started. Well, the word hope here to me, it was, I took it as a promise. Yeah. It's a promise to my father. Yeah. And God doesn't lie. So if he makes that promise... Yes. Great point, Jay. Others, other details that stand out to us. Lance. Well, one thing that the attitude we have is we go about doing these good works we're not supposed to go around as know-it-alls and we have all the answers, but humbly reviewing our own lives, realizing where we came from, and being gentle and loving. So doing good works for the right reason, but also the right attitude. That's a really important point Lance is bringing out, and I'm going to take that point and make us all super uncomfortable. Because that's my job. Paul says so. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Unless it's the other part. Remind them to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. Unless it's a celebrity we don't like. To avoid horror. Unless it's something we feel really strongly about. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Unless they're gay. Is that what he said? We make those exceptions. We'll say all sorts of things about Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden or Donald Trump. 
We will say all sorts of things about that group of people or that group of people. But what does the Word of God say? Perfect courtesy toward all people means all people. Doesn't mean you approve of what they're doing. Does mean you try not to be a jerk. Right? This is an important element of this here. We don't get carve-outs. We can't show perfect courtesy toward people who act like us and think like us and were brought up the same way we were and live in the same part of the world we do. But anywhere else, all bets are up. No, that's not how it works. We are called to be gentle, to be humble, to be courteous. And that's part of how that goes. And the way that we can do that, even when people say and do things that we do not agree with, as we remember what Lance just said. But I've done some things that weren't right in God's eyes too. So I know what they need more than anything is not for me to put them on blast on Facebook. What they need is Jesus. Because Jesus is what helped me with the ways I've been wrong, and I know Jesus can help them too. That is a different focus. It's really obvious, right? Like this isn't super deep theology here. Like this is... Christianity 101, but we need reminded. Because it's so easy to kind of get nudged and nudged and nudged. We've got feelings about things, and sometimes we lead with those. So we need reminded. We need to refocus. And that's part of what Paul is urging Titus to do here for the Christians in Crete. Other details we want to touch on before we dive into our questions. Gwen. Other thoughts? Thank you, Gwen. Wayne. I just I noted the verse now uh, and we're supposed to reject um, the device of men mm-hmm. only after the sec- first and second warning. So what does that mean? I mean, you need to listen to them, give them two warnings that they don't uh, straighten up. Then we reject them. Yeah, I think it's kind of like I tried to bring it out in the sermon today. And so one thing that I would urge us against, try really hard not to turn it into a rule. Because we're really bad about that. Jesus lays out this beautiful process in Matthew 18 for what to do when your brother wrongs you. And we like to turn it into a rule. And we're just waiting to get to that fourth step where, well, I've gone to him three different times and they haven't repented, so let's kick him out of church. That wasn't Jesus' point. Like, there's a very good process that we should follow. But we need to be careful that we don't turn it into a bunch of boxes to check. So when he says warn once and twice, don't have to be like, okay, well, I warned him once, so let's just wait, wait, wait. There he is, he's doing it again. All right, get out of here. That's not, that's not the spirit with which this was written. So we need to be mindful of that. So if we have that understanding, the way that I would understand it is there are things that I feel strongly about. And if you feel differently, I'm going to think you're wrong. But if I'm seeking Jesus, and somebody says, hey, that was out of line. I'm going to say, oh, yeah, I I didn't mean to be divisive. And then it's going to be different going forward. If you warn me, 
And then I do it again. That issue, another issue. And you warn me again. But then I keep doing it. Odds are, there's a bigger problem here. So we all are going to have times where we get off base. We're all going to have times where we just really feel like this is the right thing to do, but then if somebody says, hey, brother, that wasn't the best way to handle that. And we're like, oh, you were right. Then what Paul intended has been accomplished. But if that happens with some regularity, and not only does your heart not get touched, but you're still pretty sure you were right, well, then you're kind of entering another category. Especially when the gospel is defined here as being lived out by being gentle, obedient, courteous. So if you're persistently a demanding jerk and warnings aren't getting through, that's when more drastic measures are probably going to be needed. And that's how I see Paul coaching this. And when you, you can really read all of Titus pretty quick. Because, like, I mean, look at my Bible. It's just a little more than a page. You know, like, you can read all of Titus pretty quick. And when you do, you get a pretty good glimpse at what some of the issues were. Because when you read it all in one sitting, it'll come out pretty clear that they were having some issues there in Crete. And that was part of it. So Paul's being real practical here with Titus for like, okay, so give him some grace. But if they keep acting up, we need to push back and move on because we can't be distracted. We're doing what Jesus wants done. And they're wanting to talk about stupid stuff. And that's what he says. Worthless. Unprofitable. And we still do that. Bible classes, elders meetings, we can end up there. Sometimes we spend a lot of time on stuff that's not profitable and frankly worthless. And that's going to happen. So we give each other little nudges to be like, hey, wait a second. But if after several nudges we kind of keep going back there, something else needs addressed because we're not in step with Jesus. Does that make sense, Wayne? Anything else detail-wise before we jump into our four questions? Yeah. Right. And that's a great glimpse at why the context matters because that's why the warning once and twice matters. You know, because I've grown up in an environment where we want to just use verses 10 and 11. Or we want to just use Matthew 18. And there's this church over here that's doing that, so we're going to send them a letter telling them why they're wrong. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. You know, so when we actually look at the context, Paul's saying, you've been wrong. You've been disobedient. And Jesus changed you. But if you've got somebody over here that says they're a brother, but they're just ginning up trouble all the time, gospel hasn't taken yet. <laughs> like they're still, they're not working with Jesus like they should be. So this needs more drastic measures to get this in line. So that context of how it is all rooted in who Jesus is and what he's done. And the more we grasp that, the humbler and gentler and more courteous, more submissive even, though that's a bad word in our culture, it was a bad word in their culture. That's what Jesus did. 
So it's what we're called to do. Put others first. What do we learn about God from this passage? Lance, get us started. First thing I noticed is right off the bat, that he understands we need reminders. Yes. And that'll work for people as well, that we need reminders. But then you also see God recognizes that and provides what we need. What appeared? We were foolish and led astray and all those things. And, and what of God appeared? Goodness and loving kindness. What do we learn about God? He's good. He loves us. He's kind to us. And he's our what? Our Savior. He saves us. That's who God is. Even though we're foolish, led astray, disobedient, chasing what we want, what we think feels good, the way we think things should be. He's gracious. He's merciful. He loves us. He's kind to us. He saves us. Jesus being the embodiment of all of that. And then what two things, and we highlighted this in the sermon this morning, what two things does God provide to us as part of that transformation, as part of that grace? That's the second one. What's the first one? The washing of regeneration. God makes it so we can be clean. God makes it so we can get a fresh start. But a fresh start by its very nature means we don't keep doing what we were doing before. So what else does he give us later? The Spirit. Renewal of the Holy Spirit. And does he give us just a little bit of the Spirit? Just an itty bitty bit of the Spirit? Poured out. By whom? Jesus, right? Jesus pours out the Spirit. So God not only gives us a fresh start. He gives everything we need and more for our lives to truly start to change. (laughs) Pretty powerful stuff. Anything else about God before we move to people? Promise of eternal life with Him? Right. Yeah. Anything else with God? Jay? That's right. So we see the importance of preaching, of teaching, of being together as a church. We need reminders. And God wants to use us to furnish those admonitions, those encouragements to each other. To warn us when we need it. To maybe be a little harder with us when we're just not getting it and it seems like it's on purpose. What do we learn about people? There's a lot here. We need reminders. We got that one. What else do we learn about people? Vicki, get us started. I think that 
Yes. Yes. So you, yes. So you see that recognition, and it goes all the way back to the beginning of Scripture. Jesus embodies it perfectly. God wants us to be like Him. That's our purpose. That's what we were created to be, and that's what Jesus has made possible. We can be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The life that God has, He's going to share with us, even though we've messed up so bad. We can share in the life of God because of Jesus. What else do we learn about people from these verses? Wayne. Because that after believing, we should continue to do good works. Sometimes we forget to do That's right. Yep, we need those reminders. And specifically, being reminded to do good works. You know, Gary uh, recommended a book to me recently, and I really, really was blessed by reading. So it's by a... Um, a research guy and a church growth guy named Stan Granberg. I think he's out of, may have been out of Abilene. But um, he was just looking at how there are a large number of churches of Christ across the nation that are closing. They are aging and they're closing. And he's done a whole lot of research. The book that he's published is called Empty Church. And it's a phenomenon you see in all different religious groups. But he specifically focused on our brotherhood. And he observed that a lot of churches have life cycles, pretty much all churches have life cycles that resemble human life cycles, right? So an individual congregation will typically live about as long as a human being will live. And over time, it'll start to experience decline, unless... Things are done to revision, reinvigorate, and extend the lifespan. One of the things that he observed is when churches are starting to reach that tipping point where they're now moving towards this, is their focus becomes all about taking care of themselves. When a church's focus is entirely on pleasing the people that are already here, on keeping the people that are already here happy, that usually means the church is starting its downward trend. And once you reach a certain point with that, Greenberg's research shows only about 5% of churches are able to turn it around after they cross a certain point. Otherwise, it's talking about what to do with the assets and how to replant them into new churches that can start the life cycle over. Really interesting stuff. Empty Church by Stanley Greenberg. Found it to be a very, very beneficial read. And I was very thankful for our brother Gary sharing it with me. But that was one of the points. We forget to be devoted to good works. We get too focused on having things our way, being the way we want them to be. We lose what Paul told Titus to remind them of. So when we get those reminders we can continue to see the gospel work. But whenever we lose sight, we can end up in some bad spirals. Other things that we see about people. Thanks. You know, God has saved us from our past, but I think he's here even reminding us that we need to remember where we came from yeah. so that we can identify more with people. 
Yep. Great point, Lance. Other things that we see about people here. Sometimes we talk about stupid stuff. We do. Even in church. Sometimes we're just talking about stuff that doesn't matter. We're arguing about silly things. And that happens. That's a very human tendency of ours. So we need reminders, we need to be challenged, we need to be held accountable to keep our focus. Because ain't nobody got time for that. You know, Jesus has done something real for us. So we need to cut through the garbage and, and get to what matters. Gwen. Yeah. That's right. So part of how the gospel shows is by us not being like everybody else. And if we look like everybody else, we just come here on Sundays? That's really not what the gospel was about. Jesus is trying to do something so much more for our lives. Incidentally, when we are doing those things that God has for us to do, what words were used to describe it there? If you take a look at... Verse, uh, verse 8, the end of verse 8. When we do what God wants us to do, what is it? Excellent. That's not it. That's not good. Excellent. And profit. That means it was worth it. That means it paid back and then some. When we do what God wants us to do, Excellent and profitable. Which is how anyone who participated in our Songfest weekend felt afterwards. That was excellent and profitable. How all the kids coming to that Dino Devo felt excellent and profitable. How all those people working in, in Helping Hands' warehouse or walking around Prince George singing. That was excellent. That was profitable. That's what God created us for. We are meant to live life that way. And we so easily get too busy or too distracted or we think, well, I'll just, I'll just write a check. I don't have time to go do all that. And then we miss out because it's excellent and profitable to spend our lives on that sort of thing. How can we put this into practice? I will what? Verses 1 and 2, and then verse 8 give you quite a few things to choose from. Because this is a very, very practical little letter. So I will what? What's speaking to you? What do you want to try to put into practice from what Paul writes here? Vicki, get us started. Uh, I will devote myself to being good. Let's unpack that a little what does devoting yourself to being good look like? Give Vicki some pointers. When she wakes up tomorrow morning and she is going to set out, I will devote myself to good works. What does that day look like? What do you think? Scripture is going to be a huge part of it. Usually I start my day looking in the mirror and say I'm a child of God to remind me who I am and 
Remember identity and relationship with God. Let scripture and the message of who Jesus is and how he's changed us be what shapes the way we see the world. How else can we be devoted to good works? I'll take advantage of the opportunity all around. Recognize, right? If you're devoted to good works, you are looking for chances to do good. You're looking for this lonely person. You're thinking about that person you had a prayer request for. You're noticing that person over across the way. And you're thinking about how can I go do good for other people. So you get those thoughts primed and you're searching for That's devotion to good works. How many days a week do you think you need to do that? If you're devoted. That's like a day with so every day, scripture, relationship with God, tithing the prayer, outlook, you're looking for chances to do good. Recognizing what you have, putting that to work, whether that's time, whether that's resources. Recognize where there's more that needs done than you personally can do, and still care and bring in others. You know, find those ways to work as part of a church together, because we're all called to be devoted to good works, not just one of us. Right? So we work together. I will be devoted to good works. Good one, Vicki started this thing, wasn't it? There's a lot that could be done there. What might be another one? Wayne. Um, someone may have said it already, but I'll, I'll say it again. Well, but speaking evil of people, that's so easy to do. I will not speak evil of others. I will show perfect courtesy to all. It is hard to do. So that's why we've got to be reminded, right? We want to be obedient to this. How else can we obey? What's another I will force? That's right. So I've given a couple examples from church stuff. But really, that's just life. This is people, right? Work, family, people argue over silly stuff. I'm just going to avoid it. There's some things I'm just not going to engage with. That's an important reminder. And when other people are getting into it, nah. I'm not going to participate in that. Any other I wills for us? I will be gentle. It ties in with what we're saying, courteous. So not just I will not speak evil. I'll be kind, like God. I'll be loving like God. I'll be gracious. Good that people don't deserve. Because that's who God's been to me. So I'll show that to other people. Who needs this that we're going to tell? What would it look like to take something from today and share it outside of these walls over the next seven days? Gwen. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, so Gwen's got an intersection of two different areas because she's got family and Bible study. And it can veer off into dissensions and quarrels about words and silly things. So to be able to pull this out could be a helpful thing. So when you find yourself in those situations where people are being kind of silly, remind them. Gently, remember you've been foolish, you've been led astray. You know, so you've got the humility about it, you've got the courteousness about it. But still be okay. Focus on Jesus. Great example, Glenn. Other ways that we could share this this week. Yes. So as we are raising children, to mention this to them. Mention to them in the car tonight. Right? Ask them, would you study in Bible class? And they'll probably say, oh, I don't remember. <laughs> They're like my kids. They're goldfish. No, that's not true. No, that's not true. No. Um, but then after they say that, you can model for them a good example and say, well, in our Bible class, we talked more about that passage this morning and about how if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to be gentle and we need to be courteous. And so I'm going to work on that and I'm going to encourage you guys to do that for each other. That's like three sentences. It'll take you 15 seconds to do. Share that with our children. That'd be a great way to do it. Karen. <laughs> So that's a great opportunity just in general. And you've got somebody who is hurt. And really, this passage, I mean, maybe stop with the warn them once or twice one, because that might not be the best for someone in the hospital. But, you know, three, one through eight, about God's loving kindness towards us and mercy towards us and giving us a Savior in Jesus, that's like the gospel in eight verses. That's probably very shareable with folks, right? That'd be a great one to keep in your back pocket. Any other opportunities to try to share? Lance. Oh, <laughs> share it with your fellow commuters. I lived in Baltimore for seven years. That doesn't work there. <laughs> but you weren't driving in New York. Oh, okay. Ray, would you be so kind as to lead us in a closing prayer? Thank you, brother. Almighty Father, we have been grateful for the day you've given to us, Father, and as we realize it's the beginning of the new year, and we thank you thus far, and able to look past one father and realize in their different misses or 
strengths and weaknesses we all come through it because of you, because of Jesus, because of love we have for one another. It's nice, Father, as we pause to listen to what Paul has written Titus, and we always go back to that in those times of need. And Father, we thank you again that we have been reminded that you care for us, that you love us, Father, and it's not because of all the good we have done, but because of your love towards us that we can flourish in this life. So we're grateful for the moment, we're grateful for one another, we thank you for the Christ, in this name we pray. Amen. Amen.